can we know that the promised one from God came? Christmas can be a very difficult time for a lot of people. It's a time that we in our culture have said this is all about family and it's all about friends. And many people have lost loved ones near Christmas or have lost loved ones and are hurting for them because this is a time when everyone focuses on family and friends. Maybe this morning you're hurting. Maybe you know someone that's hurting. And the only way to encourage someone is to lift their eyes back to the reason we celebrate Christmas. And if we don't remember why we have joy this morning, we could become discouraged. Maybe there's someone you're remembering. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. Can we know that God became a man? Can we know that Jesus, remember his phrase that he used and we talked about on Wednesday, Jesus of Nazareth? Can we know that he is the Messiah? I want to take you to a text this morning that is not typically, traditionally a Christmas text. But if you'd open your Bibles to Luke 24, and I'm hoping that your fingers are limber this morning because there are a number of passages that I would like to encourage you to look at with me today. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they were communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, why this is a very unique passage and why it mentions that Jesus met with these people is this is after Jesus' crucifixion. This is after his resurrection. And Jesus, in his resurrected body, comes alongside these men, and verse 16 says, But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him? But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said, 
but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Verse 19 to me is kind of a humorous statement. When Jesus says, what things? What are you talking about? Here was Jesus Christ, the one they were talking about, and Jesus said, what things have happened? But then here's the phrase that this morning, I want to take time and I want to do what Jesus Christ did. We read, and Jesus Christ went back and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. For the last 200 years, the church has focused mainly on the New Testament. We know the Old Testament stories, but often we're very uncomfortable. If someone were to say, show me Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, we would kind of pull back and maybe feel a little uncomfortable and we say, let me show you Jesus in the New Testament. But this morning, I would like for us to focus on this term, the Lord has come. And I want us to look at God's word and see how do we know Jesus Christ is the Messiah? We're going to look at seven things this morning. So hang on. We'll go as quickly as we can. Sometimes I'm going to ask you to look up the Old Testament prophecy. And while you're looking at the prophecy, I'm going to read the New Testament fulfillment. Because I want you to see this is what God said and this is what God did. And I want you to see, this is Jesus. And as you go out this morning, I want you to be able to rejoice and enjoy the fact, I know from the scriptures, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I don't know just because I grew up in church. I don't know because someone told me. I know because I saw for myself, this is what God did. And God did it because God wanted us to have not even the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. We're going to look at his lineage, his ancestry, that will show he is the Messiah. We're going to look at his birth. The scriptures talk much of his birth to show us he is the Messiah. We're going to look at his life, what, things that characterized him to be able to see that he is the Messiah. We're going to look at his death and what the Old Testament said the Messiah's death would look like and see it fulfilled in the New Testament. We're going to look at his resurrection and how the Old Testament predicts and says this is what's going to happen. And we're going to see how it happens in the New Testament. And we're going to look and see how he returned to glory just as it was predicted in the Old Testament. You remember those last phrases where he says, Ought not Christ to have suffered those things and what? And to have entered into his glory? Isn't that what shows us he is the Messiah? It's no wonder that the angels shouted, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, before we do that, I'm just, we just have a little fun here this morning. We're going to play a game, Do You Know Me? 
if you had been promised by a very special person that he was going to come and visit, but you had never met him before. So let's have a little fun this morning. Would everyone just stand up with me for just a moment? And we're going to see how quickly we can identify this mystery person in our congregation. This person, this mystery person this morning, is a male. If you are not a male, would you please sit down? Wow, that, that identified things pretty quickly. This person was born in North Dakota. If you were not born in North Dakota, please sit down. This person was born in Jamestown. If you were not born in Jamestown, would you please sit down? <laughs> Three statements. And we were able to narrow down who the mystery person was. I had to bring all the way from Arizona to do this this morning. <laughs> And I tell you that because this is what God did for us. This is not something that we look at and go, well, maybe it's the Messiah. Let's dive into this together. And I want to pinpoint what Jesus did from the Old Testament. How could Jesus give such confidence to those men that he would not say, well, you remember this, you remember this. He took them to the scriptures and said, this is exactly what God did. And here's the thing I want you to notice. No other person in all the world was ever predicted in this way, nor ever had such detailed prophecies ascribed to him, also giving him the characteristics, the power, and the attributes of God. A guy named William Thompson reminds us, a human prediction is never anything more than a guess of results or consequences to something in the present or in the past. Prophecy has no necessary connection with experience. Let that kind of settle in because the wording is tricky. Prophecy has no necessary connection with experience for it involves foreknowledge of that which no man can know unaided. Prophecy can only be true 100% of the time if the person has foreknowledge of what is going to take place. And I'll just tell you a little secret. Those tabloids that are in the supermarket that talk about all the predictions, they don't know what they're talking about, okay? The word Messiah comes from the Greek word Messias, which is transliterated. And that word transliterated means they take a word from another language and just push it into a new language. We have the word baptism. But there really isn't any word in, a, in English that that make, makes any sense because the English translators of the Bible saw the Greek word baptizo, and if they were going to translate it, they would have translated to dip or to plunge, to put underwater. That's what the word baptizo means. But because... It was the English church, and they were Anglican, and it was the king that was saying, this will be my translation. The safe thing was not to translate the word because they sprinkled. So what they did 
They transliterated. They just took the Greek word and made it an English word. And they went from baptizo to baptize or baptism. And that's how they got the word. Well, Messiah is a Greek word, Messias, which comes from a transliteration of the Aramaic form of Hebrew. And it means to anoint. The equivalent New Testament term is Christos, or Christ. And it means the anointed one. Would you turn with me in Daniel chapter 9? Now, I'm, like I said, we're going to look around quite a bit. If you find the big book Ezekiel, you know you just need to keep going a little bit closer to the New Testament, and you'll find Daniel. If you find Isaiah, start heading toward the New Testament, and you'll find Daniel. I want you to notice in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, here Daniel uses the word Messiah to designate the coming of Jesus Christ as Savior and Deliverer as it was commonly used by the Jews at the time of the incarnation of Christ. Notice with me in Daniel, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and twoscore weeks. Now he's describing seven weeks of years and threescore and two, which would be 62 weeks of years. So you'd put, um, you'd put uh, the seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. You put those together and you've got 69 weeks. And it says, the street shall be rebuilt again and the wall, even, here's a description of what it's going to be like when the, when the Messiah comes, it will be in troublous times, even though the streets will be rebuilt and the walls will re be rebuilt. And it says, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall, come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And end thereof shall be with a flood, even unto the end of war of desolations are determined. What's he saying is going to take place? He's going to say 69 weeks of years, 483 years. From this point, from when the decree happens to when the Messiah comes, 483 years from this prophecy. That 483 years brings you to a point when the Messiah will come and it will be before the city is destroyed. We know that took place in 70 AD. So now all of a sudden we're thinking, he's literally giving us a roadmap that says the Messiah is coming and he's going to come and it's going to be 483 years after this decree and it's going to happen before the city is destroyed and before the Jews are, uh, are no longer an entity. Now we find the same word used in John chapter 1, verse 41, where we read, He first findeth his own brother, brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. 
I'm just telling you that because I want you to see there is a prophecy that's telling you a timing, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But what I want you to see is Daniel says this is how you can see the Messiah's coming. In the New Testament, the disciples are saying, I want you to see the Messiah has come, which is interpreted the Christ. So when you read the word Christ, you also know it means the Messiah. John chapter 4, verse 25, the woman saith unto him, was actually talking to Jesus, this is the woman at the well, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Now the Messiah was supposed to be a prophet, he was supposed to be a king, he was supposed to be a priest, to whom Israel could look for deliverance. Now there are going to be two types of prophecy we're going to look at this morning. First prophecy is going to be, it's called general prophecy, and it's expressed, the general prophecy is described in, we're going to use the word text, because in just a moment you'll see I'll use another T word. It's, you can tell the Messiah based on what is described in the text, the language of the text. Let me give you an illustration. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25. We read, I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to all that is in mine heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. Well, Samuel doesn't meet this description. It was said of Samuel... And you would say, well, he's talking about Samuel. No, when you look at what's written there, it goes well beyond Samuel because Samuel and his lineage terminated. But a perpetual priesthood was anticipated in this passage, and it was only fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So we have a general prophecy which is expressed in the language or the text. And then I want you to notice we have a we have personal messianic prophecies which deal with a specific term in the text. So the one talks about how it's written. The next one talks about a specific word. Here's an illustration of that. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Remember what it means from, from Matthew chapter 1? It means... God with us. So here is a personal messianic prophecy, specifically a term, and no one else in the world would fit the term of Emmanuel. God with us. So if there's so much of this prophecy in the Old Testament, why do we have such a hard time finding them? Why do we have such a hard time understanding it? You may not have that problem. I do. I struggle sometimes. Here are a couple reasons why. Messianic prophecy is often obscure because God, as he did in the parables, he often described things that he wanted his people to know, but he wasn't necessarily broadcasting it to everyone else. A second reason is messianic prophecy often uses figurative language, such as, Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So you've got all of this, this pictures that he's giving us, figurative language, but it's pointing to a Messiah who's going to come from Jesse. Another thing that sometimes is confusing is messianic prophecy often regards the future as present or past. 
Why would messianic prophecy describe the future, what hasn't happened yet, as present or past? And the reason for that is, it was the Hebrew way of demonstrating the certainty that it was going to take place. Talking about something as if it's already happened because it is so certain that it's going to happen, it's already as if it's taken place. And then the other thing is often messianic prophecy is often viewed vertically rather than horizontally. Prophecy doesn't always include the breaks that take place. My daughter and I last night, I, I love it, she called uh, and she said, Dad, I got a Bible question. I said, okay. She said, I'm working on Sunday school for tomorrow. And she said, I'm in Psalm 22. Is this a messianic psalm? And I said, yes, it is. And she said, I don't get it. She said, this didn't happen when Jesus was on earth. And we're going to talk about Psalm 22 a little bit later. But I will tell you this. If, if we are thinking horizontally, if we're looking at it and saying everything that's there is in an exact timeline, we will be very confused. When you look vertically and you begin looking up, you'll begin to understand why it's so difficult for us. The Old Testament prophecy often leaps from one thing to another, and we get very confused. Let me give you a great illustration of this. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Gratefully, that's one of the big books in the Old Testament. A major prophet is someone who has lots of chapters. A minor prophet is someone who doesn't have very many chapters, all right? It's not how important their content is. It has everything to do with how big they were. So some of us this morning would be major prophets and some of us would be minor prophets, all right? You get the idea? It's not how important they are, it's the size. Isaiah chapter 61, I want you to notice this passage. We read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach Good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to, op and to the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To mourn all that com uh, to comfort all that mourn. Now let's go to Luke chapter four, verse eighteen. Now keep your if you can keep it keep it marked because I'm going to ask you to look and tell me what's missing. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. We'll look at this text a little bit later, but this is where Jesus Christ sits down in the temple. They hand him the scroll. He reads from the book of Isaiah, and he begins, and Jesus is reading where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And if we were to keep going there, notice what Jesus does. He closes the book, and he begins saying, this day, this has been fulfilled in your eyes. Now, I cannot imagine how electrifying it was there and how people were responding to this. But what did Jesus leave out of the text? Look at Isaiah and look at Luke chapter 4. What did Jesus leave out? Do you see it? And the day of vengeance of our 
God. Do you think Jesus got distracted and forgot to finish the verse? No, I'll answer that for you. Jesus did not get distracted. Jesus was saying, today the scripture's fulfilled in your eyes. I have come to preach good tidings, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prisons to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. And that's why Jesus came. His first coming was not of a conquering king. Therefore he stopped because he did not come the first time to judge. John 3, 16, 17, 18, 19 tells us that. Didn't come to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be saved. But there is another time when Jesus is coming. It is the second coming. We're not talking about the rapture. We're talking about the second coming. So his first coming, he came as the lamb. He came as the king to draw people to himself. And they rejected him. But Jesus is coming again. There's a second coming. Now in the verse in Isaiah chapter 61, how much warning do you get on that one? Zero. He goes from first coming to second coming with a comma. I mean, that's all you get. But we know how much time has taken place from the first coming to the second coming. A lot of years, hasn't it? And when we read prophecy, you just need to understand a lot of times... In the Old Testament, if you'll allow me to use this illustration, it's as if when you're looking at a mountain range, when we, when we start going west and you start looking at all these mountains and you see this mountain and you see this mountain and you see this mountain and you say, we've made it, we're all, we've made it right there. I just need to get over the top of this one and we'll be at where we need to be. And you get over the top and what happens? There's hundreds of miles between those mountains. And that's exactly the way Old Testament prophecy reads. So as you're looking at Old Testament prophecy, remember that you need, to be, you need to understand it's a vertical look. It's not a horizontal look. And sometimes the prophecies that are there are literally going to say this and they're going to say this. And they don't tell us how much time is going to be in between there. So let's begin with the prophecies of his lineage. Prophecies of his lineage. I'm just going to go through a couple verses very quickly and then we're going to do some comparisons. The prophecies of his ancestry show that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The very first prophecy we have of the coming of a Messiah, of the coming of someone who would be our Savior, the Christ who would redeem us, is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise its heel. Now there's a lot of things that that verse does not explain for us. Were it not for the rest of Scripture, we would not know what Genesis 3.15 fully means. But we do know this. It was the very beginning of saying, there's going to be someone who comes. He will be the seed of a woman. That's a very unique description. Never described anywhere else. In chapter 4, verse 25... Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. So all of a sudden now, what happened was Satan tried to get in and start working. Abel, uh, Cain kills Abel. So now Abel can't be that line. 
Cain can't be that line, but God gives another son. His name is Seth. So now we know it's not only going to be through Adam and Eve, it's going to be through Seth. Chapters 6 through 9, we read of Noah, and we realize that God, at the wickedness of the world, God preserved Noah and his family. So we know now Adam, Seth, Noah. Now, let's go over to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, and unto a land I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now we know that line takes us through Abraham. If we were to look at Genesis chapter 19, we would see that God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, which now tells us it's not going to be Esau. Or I'm sorry, that it's not going to be, yeah. That it, uh, who, what, thank you. It's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac. And in Genesis 28, we read that it, he, again, he says to Jacob, he says, in thy seed shall all the families be blessed. So now it's not going to be Esau. We know it's going to come through Jacob. And in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. All right, again, we now know it's going to be through Judah. We studied the book of Ruth together, and interestingly enough, we find the line is going to be through Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and David. And to David we read, in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 and 13. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now this is where it gets fuzzy, because we know Solomon, and we know in our Old Testament that the kings die off. The New Testament genealogies reveals that Jesus Christ is that one. So we pause there for just a moment, and we realize in the New Testament, in Matthew, we have Joseph's line. And in Luke, we have Mary's line. Why would he give us two lines for the Messiah? And I go back to the statement I made earlier, because of the corruption of Satan wanting to corrupt that line and what he did in Solomon's line. The murder of Abel and the corruption of Cain, God had to raise a new seed. The corruption of the human race, God had to purify the human race with Noah. We saw in Ruth and Boaz, God sovereignly designed that marriage, that relationship. And what I want you to notice is providence all along. God was wanting us to know this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah. 
Joseph descends from David through Solomon and the line of the kings. Mary comes through David, through David's son, Nathan. Now, why is that important? God promised to Solomon to continue his throne and his kingdom, but the record is silent that it would be through Solomon's seed. Why was that? Because Kaniah, Jeconiah, was carried captivity in Babylon. His father, Jehoiakim, a king of Judah, was cursed because of his sin. No longer could the Messiah come through Solomon's line because that would have meant then that Jesus Christ was a cursed king and could not have reigned. The New Testament, the legal right to the throne of David is passed through Solomon and Jehoiakim and to Joseph and to Joseph's legal son, Jesus Christ. But the physical seed is passed through Nathan to Mary to Christ. And this way, God's promises are fulfilled both to David and to Solomon. If Jesus had been the physical son of Joseph, he would have been disqualified. Something interesting to me, as, I've, as I talked to uh, a Jewish friend of mine who just had his birthday this past week. Jewish friend of mine, everybody today is in the tribe of Judah. How do they know that? Because they, they know that. But how do you know that? Well, because we know that. But do you have records that you could show me that you're from the tribe of Judah? Well, no, of course we don't have records because all the records were destroyed in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed and when Jerusalem was burned. How can we know that Jesus Christ is of the tribe of Judah? How can we know that Jesus Christ is a legitimate king? How can we know that Jesus Christ fits the prophecies? Because God wrote it down for us so that no matter what else happened, we have God's word. And he tells us this is the lineage. The New Testament records are the only ones that still exist which provide authentic genealogies to identify the Messiah. That's fascinating to me. All right, what about the prophecies of his birth? We're, we'll start moving a little more quickly here. I want you to notice that all lineage prophecies anticipated his birth. So let's think about this together. Where was he to be born? The scriptures are very clear in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. There we read, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands in Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that shall be ruler in Israel, not notice this phrase, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. There were probably a lot of people that were born in Bethlehem, but there was only one who had always been. So he specifically says, all right, how do you know? The Messiah is going to have this lineage, all right? Well, Jesus fits that, but maybe there are others that we could have figured out somehow. So we also know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. All right. That was just the second one. Most of the people now are sitting down, aren't they? We see the place of his birth. We see the type of his birth. All right. You say, well, maybe some people are still standing. Maybe some people meet the lineage and maybe some people who met that lineage were actually born in Bethlehem. All right. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin would call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Okay, how many virgins who met the lineage, who had a baby born, who had a baby born in Bethlehem, who had never known a man, but had a baby supernaturally? Well, everyone just sat down on the third question, didn't they, Kurt? <laughs> everyone's down. Now, that seems really simple, but God said, oh, no. No, no, no. There's a lot more that I want you to see here. I want you to recognize the date of his birth. I, I read to you earlier, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. There will not end. There will always be a lawgiver until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That's kind of like this sample. It's like just a hint of when he's coming. But the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 tells us it will be 69 weeks of seven years, and there would be this lapse before the Messiah would, would be cut off. Then we read, this literal interpretation brings us to that same time frame when Jesus Christ was here on earth. God literally wanted us to know, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Don't, don't be confused. Don't, don't think, well, maybe there's some chance. Maybe Jesus Christ. You know, maybe there are lots of messiahs. Maybe you have your religion. I have my religion. Maybe there could be more answers than just one messiah. So let's pause from thinking about his birth, and let's move to his person. The Old Testament clearly defines some things for us. All right, what do we know? We talked on Wednesday night. He had to be human. He would be born of a woman. We just talked about his lineage, his connection with Israel, his birth in Bethlehem, his title as a son. It clearly tells us Jesus Christ was human. But Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 also tells us that he was deity. It tells us, and let's go to Isaiah again one more time in Isaiah 7.14, because I want you to notice a very interesting statement that we're given. Isaiah 7.14. And remember, this is a miraculous sign to a hypocritical King Ahaz. King Ahaz said, oh, I'm not going to ask you for a sign that you're going to do what you said. And we begin reading, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is going to be God with us. And notice what it says, verse 15. Bread, uh, butter, and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. What they're describing is it's bread, the uh, butter and honey was a sign of the afflicted land. I look at butter and honey and think that sounds pretty good. But in that land, it would have been, that was what he had, which would have been a time of occupation. And what occupation was taking place when Jesus came? The Roman occupation. 
It would be a time when the house of David would be impotent, when the house of David no longer would have power, and that's exactly what it was like when Jesus Christ came. It would be a time when this one, this Messiah, was supernaturally conceived. And Micah tells us, his goings forth have been of old from everlasting, his eternal existence. What about some prophecies about his life that shows he's the Messiah? The public ministry that he had was to be preceded by a messenger. That's going to be important. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. There's going to be a messenger, and immediately there's going to be the Messiah. What do we find about John the Baptist? Ministry, short ministry time, about six months. And immediately what happens? You've got the Messiah. It was not a long period of time. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway for our God. What do we know about John the Baptist? Listen to these verses. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Could it be more clear? We read it in Isaiah, and what does Matthew say? This is the one that Isaiah was prophesying. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make, path his, make his path straight. Matthew chapter 10, 11, verse 10, For this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Mark says, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Luke says, This is he. Once again, what I want you to see is, Old Testament tells us, New Testament clarifies it for us. If you want to know who that messenger was, it's John the Baptist. No surprises now because he keeps telling us over and over and over again. We're told that the Messiah would fulfill the offices of prophet, priest, and king. If you would, let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. We get weary often looking back and forth. We get tired of looking up passages in the Scripture. But the reality is this. God put them all the way through the Scriptures for us so that we could know. You don't want me just to say, well, just take my word for it. Because someone else is going to say, well, just take my word for it. Who's he? What education does he have? How can you be certain your pastor is telling you the right thing? You say, it's not my pastor. I'm not even so certain about him. But I can tell you this. We looked in the scriptures, and I know this is what the scriptures say. All right, so you've got Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I'm going to go verses 15 through 18. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see the great fire any more, that I may that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. 
I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Now, look at those verses, and I'm going to read from the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 21. And they asked him, What then art thou? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. Then we read, John 4, 29, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? John 5, 46, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. This is Jesus speaking. Well, when did Moses speak of him, speak of Christ? Right here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. John 16, verse 14, Then said those men when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. They were all thinking, Moses promised a prophet. We've not seen that prophet. John 8, 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. And here's the thing I want you to notice. Jesus was prophesied to be a servant. Now notice this about him. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Look again at the end verse. Verse 19. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require him. What you find is that Jesus said, I'm only speaking the words of my Father. What did Moses say the prophet that came would do? He would only speak in the name of his Father. Acts chapter 3, verse 20, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a, father, a prophet shall the Lord God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Wow, what's he telling us? Jesus Christ was that prophet. And if you do not listen to that prophet, what is the only end result? There's no hope. There's no hope. Go from your, from your Deuteronomy passage to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35. First Samuel 2, verse 35. He's not only going to be a prophet, but he's going to be a priest. And in 2.35 we read, and I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. 
Psalm 110 verse 4 tells us, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, only Jesus Christ could be a priest forever. Hebrews chapter 5 then gives us the corollary to the, to the Psalms. Hebrews now talking of Jesus Christ, as he saith also in another place, referring back to Psalm 110, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And Zechariah 6 verse 13, Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now he's saying this person must not only be a prophet, he not only is a priest, he now interjects this idea of a king. We saw that earlier in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, that the scepter would not depart. And very clearly in Numbers chapter 24, listen to this verse, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children. Of, of Seth, of Sheth. Isaiah 6, Isaiah 9 clearly gathers all these predictions together and he says, the Messiah is eternal. He will rule in righteousness. Justice will be his kingdom. So now we see these combined things. You have the first coming and you have the second coming. We read of the first coming, but we also, in that verse in Isaiah, we read of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's a promise yet has not been fulfilled. Now, let's look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. You're going to near the end of the Old Testament. So if you hit Matthew, just start backing up. Zechariah 9, Verse 9. What do we know about Jesus Christ? And what do we know about the Messiah? Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. While you're looking at that, listen to Matthew chapter 21, verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, sitting upon an ass, and the colt of a foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought an ass and a colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way, and the multitudes that went before and followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mark tells us about that. Luke tells us about that. And there's always this hint. First coming, second coming, but no question who the Messiah is. And we read he's going to be the Savior and Deliverer. Same passage, Zechariah 9, 9, was fulfilled. Now, some prophecies concerning the time of the period of the Messiah. What will it be like if you could say, all right, what time period looks like when the Messiah was here? What things make us realize this is the Messiah? 
John chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 35 says, Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Now, what was happening? All the things that Isaiah talked about, we know these are all things that Jesus did. And then notice what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 36. Why don't we turn to that passage together? John chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus said, I have greater works than that of John, for the works with the Father have given me to finish the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Jesus was saying, connect the dots. Look at all the things that I've done. I want you to know I'm the Messiah. He would be a servant of Jehovah. We talked about that briefly. He would be an obedient servant who through his suffering and death will redeem his people. Would you follow with me in Isaiah chapter 42? Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith the Lord God, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to, uh, to them that walk therein, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness, I will hold thine hand, I will keep thee and give thee for a covenant to the people, a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. Key words. He came to fulfill the covenant for Israel. He came to bring a light for the Gentiles. To open the blind eyes. To bring out the prisoners from the prison. And them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now just skip ahead to chapter 49 verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me. And hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. Of his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant. O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, 
It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to destroy and to restore the preserved of Israel. And I will also give thee a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to them whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful and of the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Chapter 53, who hath believed our report, and to whom of the, is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. What I want you to see is, you look at this passage, and every one of these was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. I read the passage, I read how long the passage was, because every one of these are indicators. Instead of reading them thinking Old Testament, Isaiah, read them thinking, where's the Messiah? Can we find the Messiah by what we were just told? Matthew 8, verse 17 says, 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our, infirm our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Why did all this take place? He wanted you to know this is the Messiah. Matthew chapter 12, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my well-beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive, neither shall any man bear his hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. Can you hear? It happened. In, he was prophesied in Isaiah. He says, it happened. It happened. Look at this man. This is the man. There is no other man. No one could have fulfilled all these prophecies. Luke says, for I say unto you, that that which is written... Yet uh, must yet be accomplished in me, for he was reckoned among the transgressors on the cross with the transgressors. And the things concerning me have an end. John quotes that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which was spoken, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? We see this in Acts chapter uh, verse 3 verse 13 verse 26 acts chapter 4 verse 27 for of a truth against thy holy child jesus whom thou hast anointed both herod and pontius pilate with the gentiles and the people of israel were gathered together by stretching forth thine hand to heal that the signs of wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child jesus There would be many in, in Romans. Let me skip to Peter. Let's look there at 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to see again, Peter is saying, Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Talking of Jesus, who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. The prophecies of his character, of the manner in which he would live, show us this is Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He would be preceded by a messenger. He would come to be a savior and a deliverer. He would execute the offices of prophet, priest, and king. He would be the cornerstone for Israel. He would be an obedient servant. And then we come to his death. His death demonstrates that he was the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 52, where we just were, verse 14, says he would be brutally beaten to where you couldn't recognize him. Isaiah 53 says he would be wounded. Another verse 53, 5, uh, 53, 5 says he would be bruised. Isaiah 53, 7 says he would be silent before his persecutors. Isaiah 53, 10 said he would be an offering for sin. Isaiah 53.9 says the sufferings that he went through were not because of his own sin. Isaiah 53.9 says he would, be, he would die with the wicked and would be buried with the rich. Where did Jesus die? 
where was Jesus buried? He would die for the sins of others. Now we come to the text I mentioned to you earlier in Psalm 22. Let's turn to that, and I want you to think about our Lord and think about this prophecy telling you this is the Messiah. In Psalm 22, we read in verse 1, he would be forsaken by God. What did he say on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In verses 6 through 8, we read he would be ridiculed, he would be taunted. We go to Matthew, we go to Luke, and we see those exact things happened. We read in verses 14 through 16 here in, in Psalm 22 that he would suffer agony. We see that exact happened in the New Testament. We read in verse 14 here, his, jo his bones would be out of joint. That's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. We read that he would thirst in verse 15. That's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. We read in verse 16, he would be pierced. That's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. We read in verse 18, his garments would be divided. That's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. In verse 15, we read he would be brought to death. That's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. Every detail of Psalm 22 is recorded in the Gospels. There are other prophecies, smattered ones, that would remind us of his death. Psalm 41.9 says he would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 35.11 says he would be falsely accused. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says he would be spit upon. Isaiah 34, verse 20, tells us his bones would not be broken. New Testament tells us exactly he was already dead. They didn't break his bones like they did the thieves on either side. We're told he would be a suffering Savior. The Jews struggle with this. The Jews struggle with Isaiah 53. Because it is such a clear picture of the Messiah and the only one who ever met those qualifications were Jesus Christ. His resurrection shows that he's the Messiah. Many passages anticipate a resurrection of the Messiah. There aren't that many in the Old Testament that are specific. But Psalm 46.10 tells us very clearly, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And we would say, how do you know that that's talking about the Messiah? How did you know that? How could you know that? You're making that up. I'm so glad you asked. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 25. Peter quotes the psalm passage. 
For David speaketh, this is Acts 2.25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. He goes on, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, who is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. What's he saying? This couldn't have been talking in Psalm 46 about David, because David did die. He did see corruption. He did stay in the grave. Who's the only one this could have been talking about? And the New Testament tells us Psalm 46 is only talking about Jesus Christ alone. Peter says that. But lest we say, well, Peter was stretching it. Now we go to Paul. And if you would look in Acts chapter 13, verses 34 through 37. Paul is preaching and Paul says, And as concerning, this is verse 34 of Acts 13, And as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David, wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Psalm 46, 10, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. What was God telling us? The sure sign of Jesus Christ, he was raised from the dead. The last thing I want you to see is Jesus Christ has to be the Messiah because he saw glory. Psalm 24 anticipates the king of glory coming. Brother Doug read that for us this morning. Daniel 7.14 says there's going to be a kingdom that is not destroyed. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 says the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glory. After his death, Christ returned to glory. He will return for his church. But the next time he returns, his second coming, he will not come as a merciful Messiah. He will come as a conquering king to judge. I still stand amazed when I think that Jesus read from Isaiah 61 and he said, I've come to proclaim this all to you. But then he stopped and did not say that this was going to be the vengeance of the Lord day. Because you see, we're looking ahead. Often people say, eschatology doesn't matter in the church. We all get confused about the end times. So it really doesn't matter. You believe what you believe. I'm going to believe what I believe. Can you see, the reason why we believe what we believe is all the pieces fit together. You can't take them apart because the Messiah has yet to come. The prophecies of the Messiah, there are still some that have not been fulfilled. And the reason being, he's coming again. And right now we are in that we are in that mountain valley area. We can see this peak. We can see this peak. We saw he came the first time. We know he's coming another time. And the Jews thought it was going to be at the same time. They did not see this era of the church. They did not see what was taking place here. But we live in this privileged time. We have God's word. We know what is yet to come because we see every fulfillment of what has taken place. Which is the reason why today I would plead with you 
Jesus Christ came as the merciful Messiah. He came as the spotless lamb. He came to die on the cross for you and for me because we were estranged from God. We sinned and our iniquities, our sins have, have taken us in places that have only destroyed our lives. Jesus Christ never sinned, but he died for you and he died for me. He totally paid the debt so that when Jesus comes again, we will not face him as our judge. We will face him as our Messiah. But if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, it does not matter how much you know of this book, it's what you've done with what this book says that matters. You see, today there was nothing for you to do to be saved. Jesus Christ did it all for you. He offers you a gift. This special time of Christmas is so wonderful. We give gifts because it also is a now a reminder for us. Not only is it, a, is it a reminder, December 25, of now the sun is coming at nearly the darkest time of the year. We're reminded there's a sun coming. There's light that's coming. We're also reminded during this time of gift giving that there was a greatest gift of all, and it's your choice. You don't earn a gift. There's nothing you can do for a gift. You either accept it or you refuse it. That's why today I get the opportunity to tell you God offers this gift. Have you ever received that gift? If you haven't, please don't walk away. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. I can't spare you of that day. I can only tell you, you can prepare ahead of time. The prophecies foretell that the Messiah would be from a certain line, born a certain way. He would be a certain kind of person. He would live in a certain way. He would die a certain way. He would rise from the dead. He would be received up into glory. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Christmas is not about feelings with friends. All of us have lost loved ones. It's wonderful if you've experienced those feelings, if you've enjoyed those friends. But because we live in a sinful world, we're going to continue experiencing bad things. If it's all about family and friends, you're never going to enjoy Christmas, Resurrection Sunday, because you're always going to say, oh, it just reminds me too much. It's too painful of this. No. Those people are gone, and the whole point that gives us hope is the fact, this would be my first Christmas without my dad, but you know what? I know where my dad is. He is a teenager, as a 16-year-old young man. He received Christ as his Savior. And I know where my dad is today. And I celebrate Christmas not because I'm, I get to be with him. I celebrate Christ, Christmas because we both have the same Messiah. That's what we rejoice in. Sadly, by ours and other human choices around us, 
we've been led away from the true meaning of Christmas. It's not bad to give gifts. You can choose to give gifts any way you want. God chose to give a great gift. It's not bad to be with family and friends. What do we find? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christians gathered and they spent a lot of time together. And, and gratefully, we see that Jesus' brothers, and I don't know about his sisters, but Jesus' brothers came to understand Jesus was the Messiah. This is Christmas. Jesus Christ came. God kept his word, and God wanted to make sure you have no doubts. It's a unique message. Usually, I will take a text, and we'll stay within a confined area. Today, I have had you racing from Genesis, and we could have ended in Revelation this morning, but I'm out of time. But I did kind of point you to Revelation. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Have you taken that gift? If you have, rejoice in this day and spread that news. Jesus Christ has come. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With your heads bowed before I pray, can I just ask you this simple question? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior?